Well, September 6, 2018, a woman, uh, off-duty cop, came home from work, really late shift, went up her stairwell, she lived in an apartment complex, went up her stairwell, but she got off one stairwell too soon. She came uh, to what she thought was her apartment and noticed that the, the door was open, cracked open, and so um, she just finished a shift as a police officer, and so she was worried that somebody had broken into her home, allegedly. She walks in, and there's a man there eating his ice cream in his own apartment, and she shoots him dead. And she realizes after that that she didn't go to the third floor to her own apartment. This was September 6, 2018. A few months ago, um, after she was sentenced, um, Amber Geyer was sentenced in Dallas uh, for the murder of Botham Jean. Um, you saw all over social media a video that surfaced from a courtroom. It was a sentencing courtroom. She had already been sentenced in the murder of Botham Jean, and this is what you saw. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. What thoughts come to mind when you watch this scene? Thoughts of law, thoughts of justice, thoughts of mercy, thoughts of grace. What sticks out to me about this courtroom are the words that he said and the order in which he said them. He said, if you are sorry, if you are truly sorry, I forgive you. And because I forgive you, I want the best for you. And the best for you would be to come to Christ, to know Christ, and to know his forgiveness. Can I hug you? Can I tell you, maybe unlike other courtroom scenes with similar situations that I've seen, that's a great picture 
of biblical forgiveness. Biblical forgiveness starts with confession and repentance. And then it moves from confession and repentance to the person forgiving you. And then from forgiveness, then there there is restoration and reconciliation. You see it in the courtroom. Maybe it's the reason we love movies like Les Mis. Maybe it's the redemption stories that you see working out in your own life. It is soul-stirring. But here's the thing. This is exactly the picture of the gospel and what God has done for you. This is how salvation works, right? Salvation works the same exact way. You confess your sins to God and repent of your sins and believe upon Christ. And what does Christ do for you? He forgives you of your sins. He takes the the debt of your sin and he takes it away. And then he restores you with himself and the Father. He's your advocate. He's your mediator. You see, biblical forgiveness in relationship works the same way as forgiveness with God. It's a picture of salvation. Ephesians chapter 4 says it this way, forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. How has God in Christ forgiven you? If you're a believer in Christ, you've confessed your sin, you've repented of it, you've believed, and guess what? He forgave your debt and he restored you with himself and the Father. See, whether it's as dramatic as a courtroom scene or as dramatic as the argument you had with your spouse this morning on the way here, that's how forgiveness works in our lives. Let me ask you a question. Have you experienced the forgiveness that only God and Christ can bring you? Only Christ can pay your debt. And if so, What relationships in your life can you still play a part in restoring? I don't know about you, but there is relational baggage, right? We carry relational baggage in relationships that we have with others around us, whether it's a spouse or a family member or a coworker or someone who used to go to church with us. As far as it depends on you, are there places in your life where you could use Confession and repentance to restore relationships that aren't restored just quite yet. And what's your, let me get a little bit more up in in this with you. What is your normal response to conflict and argument in relationships? Is it flight? Is it fight? Is it work it out? This path from confession and repentance to forgiveness to restoration That's an important path as we think about our lives before Christ and our lives with one another. What we often do, what I often go, hey, we're okay. You and me are okay. We don't have to go through this process. We're we're okay. And there's this kind of therapeutic uh, forgiveness that, that we think happens, but this is the path in which God wants us to walk, to really be restored to people, to really be restored and forgive people. We've got to walk through that path. There's a great story in the Bible. You know, the Apostle Paul is really interesting. All the way through the New Testament, he talks about these great gospel truths. He talks about forgiveness. He talks about debts being paid. He talks uh, about the gospel of Christ and how he's freely forgiven us of our sins if we come to him in belief. And it's great to know those things, but the book of Philemon in the New Testament. Have you ever read Philemon? Have you ever heard of it? It's one page. My old pastor used to say, hey, if, if you've... My old pastor used to say, hey, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? And Philemon asked you, how do you like his book? What are you going to say to him? 
The book of Philemon is about radical forgiveness. It's about radical restoration. It's a really short book, but it's this beautiful picture with skin on it, like real relationships in the Bible that you say, here's what forgiveness and restoration looks like. So for the next two weeks, today and next week, we're going to be in the book, little book of Philemon. Uh, The Bible on your chair there, it's page 1,000. It's right after Titus, which we just finished. So if you can find Titus, then we can find Philemon. It's between Titus and Hebrews. So the book of Philemon. If you don't mind standing this morning, uh, I'd love to read the word standing, just in honor of God's word. And I'm going to read the whole passage, and then I'm going to explain it a little bit. I'll let you sit down before I explain it. Uh, But we're going to let me read this, and you follow along. You can follow along up front or with the Bible that you have in front of you. The book of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our brother, fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Look, at this is great encouragement from Paul to Philemon. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account." I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even of your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping to come through your prayers. I will graciously be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you and so do Mark and Artocratus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. You can sit down. When you read the book of Philemon, it's a little bit like seeing first the sequel of a movie without seeing the first one. Because there's a lot of background and a lot of things that you, you, you can't pick up for sure. Like what church are they at? Uh, what happened that Onesimus, this bondservant of Philemon uh, is not there anymore. Did he steal something? Did he take something? What's the situation? 
And how do I know that there's relational forgiveness between whatever happened? There's all these questions that are, that are unanswered, but I think I can try to answer some of them from other texts and piece this together. Whenever you come to a narrative text in Scripture, whether it's an Old Testament text, there are pieces that you don't have fully. And yet I think in this situation that we can piece some of this together. So what I want to do for a few minutes is just kind of retell this story for you and hopefully give you an explanation of the storyline, and then we're going to unpack three things. Um, this week, we're going to look primarily through the lens of Onesimus, the, the, the bondservant, and then next week, we'll look at Philemon, and we'll look at Paul through the lens of Paul. But I want to show you three gospel truths from this passage through the lens of an Onesimus. But here's what I think is happening. I think Onesimus is... Philemon's bondservant. Remember in the book of Titus, uh, we see in that first century, we see a household, a likely many households would have grandparents in the household that would have parents in the household and children and bondservants. If, if you had any money at all in, in that day in, in the Roman Empire, you might have had a bondservant, an indentured slave, if you will, to serve you and, and care for the family. So what I think happened is Onesimus stole something from Philemon and he flees. He flees 5,000 miles to Rome it looks like from this book that Philemon came to faith and his family came to faith through the apostle Paul. And we don't know when and where, but it looks like Philemon and Paul have a relationship. See, the church in Colossae meets in Philemon's home. His wife is mentioned in the letter, the sister, and his Philemon's son is mentioned, Archippus. It looks like from the wording that Archippus is a pastor in this church in Colossae, the book of Colossians. And so what's happened is he's run away, he stole something, he's run away, and we don't know if he knew Paul before or providentially he ran into Paul, but he went to Rome. He went as far away as he could from Philemon because remember in first century, if you're a slave and you steal something and you take something, it's punishable by death. So he runs to Rome, and guess what happens in Rome? He meets Paul. Somehow, some way, he meets Paul, who's in house arrest in Rome. And what does Paul do? When Paul meets somebody, he shares the gospel with them. This text, this passage, this letter says that he's become my child. When Paul says that in a book of the Bible, it means that Paul has led Onesimus, the runaway slave, to Christ. He's led him to Christ, and somewhere along the way, Paul knows the storyline. Do you see it in there? He knows that perhaps he's stolen from something from you. So I think Onesimus confessed to Paul what he has done and why he was in Rome. And then what does Paul do? He says, look, young man, you need to go back to your master. Philemon is a good man. He knows Jesus. He will receive you back. I'm going to write him a letter and I want you to send the letter back. Not only am I going to give you the letter of Philemon, I'm going to give you the letter to the Colossian church and the Ephesian church. And you and Tychicus, another worker, are going to go deliver these messages, deliver these letters. Can you imagine being Onesimus at that point? Paul, I'm not sure I want to go back. Philemon could literally kill me and be legally justified in doing it. But we have the letter. 
So I think Onesimus comes back with Tychicus. Can you imagine that scene? Imagine the scene of Philemon sitting on his front porch, looking out down the way, down the road with the Colossian times in his hand. In the morning, his wife's sitting there, Aphia's sitting there. And he looks down the road and he says, that kind of looks like that old dirtbag runaway slave Onesimus who stole from us. And he gets closer and closer. That is Onesimus. What's he doing here? Is he crazy? Why would he come back here? And I think Onesimus was likely getting afraid. And he approached Philemon like this. Here's the letter. If I'm Onesimus, I'm reading that letter. I'm reading that letter before it gets there to know what Paul's saying to Philemon. I don't know what happened. And he said, just read the letter. And I think what happened is that Philemon began to read the letter likely with his wife standing there. And if you look at it, you see a lot of encouragement toward Philemon from Paul in it, don't you? In the first four, verses four through seven or eight, I think that was real. I think Philemon was a man who was faithful. He was a man who loved Jesus, that Paul really did get joy from him. He's not just buttering him up to do something for him. And yet, Paul asked him for something. Paul asked him to receive back the runaway slave who was once useless, who is now useful because he's my child, meaning he knows Jesus now. I think that's what you see happening. I don't know that scene, but if I'm Philemon and I'm reading this, I'm thinking, oh, did you tell Paul? Did you tell him what you did to me? <laughs> you came to know Jesus, but did you tell him what you did to me? And I think Aphia, likely the wife, is like, settle down, Philemon, settle down. And then you come down and he says, no longer, in verse 16, a bondservant who sleeps out in the barracks, but more than a bondservant, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you? If you consider me a partner, receive him as you would receive me. I can imagine Philemon saying, okay, you can come back, but you're going to go sleep over there. And Aphia saying, hey, it seems like Paul's saying that you're supposed to receive this runaway slave who's now a Christian and prepare him a room close, not out there. And I picture over time Onesimus, or maybe right there, Onesimus confessing to Philemon his wrongdoing. And I picture this confession, this forgiveness that Philemon grants, and restoration, and I have reason, and I'll unpack it later for believing that. That's the storyline, I think, as best we can tell. There are three gospel truths through the lens of Onesimus that I want to talk about today. The first one is this. It's on your worship guide there, your bulletin there. The gospel dynamically changes relationships and cultural black eyes. The gospel dramatically changes relationships and cultural black eyes. Look at verse 15 through 18. I just read, a slave becomes a brother more than a slave. Treat him like you would treat me. This is Paul's call to Philemon. Give him a place to stay. I think he likely, and it's alluded to here, he likely frees Philemon. Here's what's going on in the culture. Before the time of, about the time of Jesus, there are 60 million bondservants, slaves in the Roman Empire. And as the gospel spreads, about 500,000 slaves a year are being released. Caesar, rightfully so, blames the Christian. 
and the Christian ethic and the Christian worldview. So here's, here's how this happens. Here's how cultural ills die. Here's how slavery dies. Here's how other ills of our day die, one by one. One slave master at a time releasing slaves. And I think this is likely what happened in this situation. That's why it's changing because the gospel is changing the culture from the inside out. The point of this is that the cross levels the playing field with relationships. Classism, racism, sexism dies. That's what Galatians chapter 3, 28. I think we have it here. Galatians 3. This is a great picture of this book. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is saying to Philemon, the playing field is level now. He's your brother. Do I think there are consequences to sin? Absolutely there are consequences to sin. There is justice, but there's also mercy. And I think that's the picture of the book. The gospel dynamically changes relationships. And I think you see forgiveness here for a couple of reasons. One is if I'm Onesimus and I don't bring the letter back, you never see it. But guess what? If I'm Philemon and I read the letter, I'm not giving it to anybody if I don't want to forgive. You don't have this letter if there's not restoration in the relationship. Because there's no way Philemon wants this letter read if he gets it and says, nope, not doing it. There's no way it gets to Philemon if, I, if Onesimus says, not sending it. The gospel dynamically changes relationships. How has the gospel changed your relationships with other people? How is it changing other, your relationships with people? Their relationships with you. I've got a friend named Kurt. Kurt Williams. Kurt's from Alabama. I feel sorry for him today. He's a Bama fan. Uh, and his best friend is an LSU fan. But Kurt grew up in a great home in Alabama. His parents loved Jesus. He rebelled. He got into drugs and all kinds of stuff. And his parents kicked him out, as they should have, he would say. He got 10, 15 years into all kinds of crazy stuff. He was an adrenaline junkie anyway. He comes to Jesus. He has a radical conversion to Jesus. And he's the guy that's down on Montrose sharing Jesus with the homosexual and the transvestite and those kind of people, just raw. Not too many years later, he starts a ministry called Youth Reach Houston. And he adds another ministry, Youth Reach Gulf Coast in Alabama, to do what? To reach kids that were like him. It's an incredible ministry that he has to people who are like him. And you know what? He has a beautiful story of how his dad and him reconciled and how he cared for his dad until his dad passed just a few weeks ago. He's the guy that I would bring in to youth camp and I would bring him in in the cage for about a week in Colorado and I would let him loose on the high school kids and teach them the truth and I'd put him back in and we'd put him on the radical guy that loves Jesus who's been forgiven much. Let me ask you, How has the gospel changed your relationship with other people? And how is the gospel changing you? I think the gospel changed the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus in this passage. And the second application that I would have for you, just question-wise, would be this. How does the gospel change the way you see people who serve you? How does the gospel change the way you see people who are serving you? When you go to lunch today and somebody's serving you at a table, 
and somebody that cleans your house or somebody that mows your lawn or the relationships you have with people who are serving you? What if the lady who cleans your house, who didn't know Jesus, stole from you? This is a hard one. And then she comes back a year later and says, I'm a Christian now, I'm sorry. Would you receive that? Would you employ her again? That's hard. I'd be like, well, I forgive you, but I'm not sure I'm going to restore you. This is radical stuff. So how does it change us? How does it, how do you see people? How do you interact with people who live in different zip codes? Because I think in first century, it was less about racism, more about classism, what was going on, the slavery piece, right? So how do you see people who live in different zip codes? Those Woodlands people or those Conroe people or those Magnolia people or the Aggies around here. They're kind of strange, right? And are you feeding conflict or are you holding out the truth of the gospel as a bomb to a culture that we live in that are all kinds of cultural ills, whether it's racism or classism or just, man, we thrive off enmity and strife with one another. And I love uh, a few years ago when Ferguson was happening, Benjamin Watson, who plays for the New England Patriots, won't hold it against him. Um, at the time, he was playing for the New Orleans Saints. Ben, Benjamin Watson's a believer. And um, here's what he said in the midst of that. He said, I'm encouraged. Because ultimately, the problem of, is not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover our own. Sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. But I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son Jesus. And with it, a transformed heart and mind. One that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. The cure, love this, is not just simply education and exposure. The cure is the gospel. So finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel give, gives mankind hope. The gospel dynamically changes our relationships and our cultural black eyes. What else? It does something else here. The gospel transforms, second of all, the gospel transforms our runaway hearts. Through the lens of Onesimus, I want you to think about it. Here's a runaway slave who has fled. He comes to faith. He's changed. The debt is gone. He's sent back, and he could have justly been executed, but because he doesn't have any rights, but he's taken in. The debt is paid. He's shown mercy and grace. He's treated as a brother, and he's freed. Onesimus is a lot like us, isn't he? Before God. We're runaway slaves who came back a son or daughter rather than a slave. We have a debt that we can't pay. We receive forgiveness and restoration even though we deserve justice and death. And we were once useless, but now we're useful to the master. There's a story of a Russian soldier, old Russian, Russian soldier, Russian soldier um, had a father who knew Tsar Nicholas I. And during wartime, rather than being on the front lines because he knew the Tsar Nicholas, he put his son in the barracks as kind of a paymaster, kind of an accountant. The problem was is that um, this young man 
didn't have great character. He had a gambling problem, and he took the money of the Russian government that was meant to be used for wartime, and he used it on, on gambling. He gambled it all, almost all away. And one day, a representative of Tsar Nicholas came to the barracks and said, hey, tomorrow, tomorrow I'm coming, and I want to see your ledger. I want to see an accounting of what you've been spending. And he knew he was done. And he got at his desk and he wrote out a ledger of all the things that he had stolen and all the money he had squandered away. And at the bottom of it, he wrote a note, a great debt, who can pay? And that night, he decided that he was going to take his own life at midnight. And he sat at his desk and he fell asleep before midnight. And as the story goes, Tsar Nicholas, as he usually would, saw a light in the barrack as he was making his rounds. And he walked in and he saw the young man laying asleep on his desk. And then he looked over his shoulder and he saw the accounting and he saw what he had done. And before he arrested him, he looked down and saw the question, a great debt, who can pay? And in his compassion, he wrote one word, and he walked out. Early the next morning, the young man woke up. He woke up, and he saw, he glanced down at his paper, and he saw the word Nicholas written to the answer to the question, a great debt, who can pay? Only Nicholas could pay that debt. There's only one person that can pay your debt of sin. And it's Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know him here this morning? You have a debt that you can't pay and nobody else can pay for you except for Jesus. Do you know him? Will you trust him? See, the gospel transforms our runaway hearts, our relationships. It changes cultural ills that are around us. One more thing. The gospel, third point, the gospel makes us useful to the master. It makes us useful to the master. Look at verses 11 through 13. This is Paul appealing to Philemon for Onesimus. Look at verse 10, actually, starting 10. I appeal to you for my child, that means he's come to faith, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment, spiritual son. Verse 11. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to me and to you. The name Onesimus means useful. There's a play on words that Paul is using with Philemon, and Philemon in the first century would have caught it. He was a useless runaway slave, and now because of Christ, he's useful. Do you see it? He's useful. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. Colossians 4, 7 through 9 says this. Here's a little more evidence, historical evidence to the usefulness of Onesimus while he was gone, before he came back. Colossians chapter 4, 7 through 9. Tychicus, you saw him in the book of Titus, will tell you all about my activities. He's talking to the Colossian church. This is the church, Philemon's church. Onesimus was there. People would know him. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Speaking of Tychicus, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that you may encourage your hearts. And with him, who? 
Onesimus. This is after he's gone to Rome, before he's come back. Our faithful, is he faithful? He stole, he's a runaway slave. Our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. That's the understatement of the century, isn't it? They will tell you about why Onesimus, who ran away, has a different rep now. He's useful. Can I tell you what church history tells us about Onesimus? The runaway slave. It tells us that Philemon did likely free Onesimus, first of all. And the way we know that is the first century church father, Ignatius, he would write and he wrote a letter to the Ephesian church. You see, Onesimus became the pastor of the, of the Ephesian church. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the Ephesian church. This is the place that Paul went for multiple years. This is like the, the pastor's dream job to go to the big church that has all kinds of training. This is the big church. This is Onesimus, the runaway slave. And Ignatius writes a letter to the people of the church in Ephesus that Onesimus is pastoring as an encouragement to them about their new pastor. And he says this, Onesimus is a man of inexpressible love. I wonder why. He's been shown mercy and grace. Blessed is the one who has graciously granted you, Philemon, who are worthy to obtain such a bishop. Philemon granting Onesimus freedom. Is he useful? He's useful. The runaway slave who was useless becomes useful. God's runaway grace in the gospel makes you useful. Makes you useful to the master. Do you believe that? Do you believe that about yourself? That God makes you useful if you know him. Also means God's runaway grace in the gospel makes others around you useful as well. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Not only that, it means that you freeing people from the burden of justice and granting others mercy has kingdom impact long term. Philemon's freeing of his slave Onesimus has long term impact on Onesimus and the kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? Consider that if you need to turn yourself in and ask for forgiveness. Consider that. Maybe you need to write a letter, to draft a letter to a broken relationship that you have. Maybe you need to write a letter of encouragement to a brother and sister to forgive and restore them. See, the gospel changes relationships. That's what I want you to hear. It changes relationships. It moves the cultural dial. It transforms our runaway hearts. And it makes us useful to the master. Your takeaway is this today. You are God's Onesimus. You are God's Onesimus. The question is, which way are you running? Are you running toward the Savior? Or are you running away from him? There's only two types of runaway slaves. There's only two. The type that are still running, running from their life, running from the consequences of sin and running away from God, and those who have stopped running and now are bondservants of Jesus, who've stopped running and now are serving their true king. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this word uh, in Philemon. It's so rich in our lives. It's so challenging in our lives when we think about 
what you have done to make us right with yourself by the person of your Son. That Christ forgives us. He pays it all for us and makes us right. That there's nothing we can bring to you to make it right with you, but he dies in our place and forgives us of our sins based on confession and repentance and belief and he restores us and he makes us right. He forgives us. He pays the debt. He frees us. He satisfies us like nobody else can do. He makes us useful and he fills us with inexpressible joy. We love you and we thank you for the gospel message, the good news of Christ, that Christ has died in our place. In Jesus' name, amen.